This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, we have lots to talk about today, but before we get into it, I want to talk about a company. Uh, I want to talk about a company that we both like, that we've been in a partnership with now for a few weeks. The company is VintageSports.com. I love all things vintage. I love all things sports. Uh, This company is the perfect melding of the two in that they have jerseys, caps, t-shirts, sweatshirts, baseball, football, boxing, basketball, uh, anything that your vintage sports heart could desire, VintageSports.com can deliver. Uh, they send us free gear pipe because we're uh, we're radio tycoons. And uh, when you're a radio tycoon, people send you some stuff for free. And that's just part of the lifestyle. Um, pipe, it's not something that I expect everybody to understand, okay? And um, I'm not going to explain it to them necessarily what that feels like. But, uh, but we got free gear. Um, we both got baseball mitts. We both got caps. Uh, we're both thrilled with the gear that we got from Vintage Sports. <laughs> yeah, we're both grown-up children exactly. who like we're, toy, toys and hats. Toys and hats. Keep the toys and hats coming. Um, we really are, aren't we? Um, it, I, I, yeah, I have no, I have no uh, guilt about this at all. My wife told me I was a, a grumpy old man with a child's sense of humor. I think I also have a child's sense of style and enjoyment when it comes to toys and hats as well. Dude, I, I really, it's funny you mentioned that. I think about what I want in this world, which is very little. Like, I, I'm not one of these guys that sits around, like, dreaming about the next purchase. But the things that I want now are probably the same things that I wanted at 12. Um like I, I, I do a little bit of, uh, of shooting with my boys. Like we have a couple of guns and uh-huh. we go shoot targets and my, um, my, gr- my dad got me a, a holster for, for Christmas, like an old timey, like cowboy holster. And I took this picture of me gleefully wearing the holster a couple days ago shooting. And I'm just like, <laughs> I really am 12. There's probably like a, yeah, that's, a child's that's picture, exact, I think, you know? Yes. I think I asked for like a, a cowboy like six shooter and holster setup every birthday from like age six until probably age 12 or 13. And dude, when you got it, you, you know, were at some stoked. point I got too cool for it, Yeah, but I never stopped thinking it was cool. Exactly. Cause it never stopped being cool. Like it's, right. it's legitimately a cool thing, whether you're 12 or uh squarely in middle age. So, um, this, this is, I think the, the the spirit that vintagesports.com is kind of hitting at pipe it's for the the 12 year old and all of us so navigate to their website buy some of their stuff they have autographed pictures autographed memorabilia boxing gloves um you'll be blown away by their customer service and their selection um like you, you will have barely placed the order and then the box will show up at your front door that's how yeah. efficient they are i was I was super caught off guard in a positive way by how their retro stuff doesn't just sort of like model after like the, so I got one of the Ebbets Field flannel style baseball caps mm-hmm. or flannel material and it's it you it it looks and feels like an old hat yeah not uh, not just sort of like oh we took the logo off of an old hat right. and put it on a new one and uh, it looks like their shirts and jerseys are kind of the same thing like they. If you want to dress like Babe Ruth or Jackie Robinson or Willie Mays or like I don't know Fran Tarkenton, like this is this is the company. It's that style of gear. It's really cool stuff. I want to dress like all those guys. I want to be all those guys in their eras. <laughs> um, yeah, that sounds phenomenal. And uh, VintageSports.com will get you closer. So, Pipe. Speaking of Babe Ruth, great two-way player. He was an elite pitcher. He was an elite hitter. Um, Reminds me of somebody who's trending right now, Shohei Otani. Uh, I, w- I always want to call him the California Angels still because I'm stuck in the past, but it's the it's the Anaheim. Because <laughs> you're still twelve. Because I'm still twelve. Exactly. When I was twelve, they were the California Angels. Um, now they are the Anaheim Angels. This guy, um, it's crazy how effective he is, uh, both as a pitcher and as a hitter. Um, Pipe, tell me your reactions to this player, and then I want to get into comps in baseball comps and other sports other walks of life 
Yeah, so I went through like multiple stages of fan cynicism mm-hmm. when he came over. Probably what was that three, four years ago? Yeah, something like that. And uh, you know, and I thought, well, this is like one of those guys who's drafted out of high school who's could be a star shortstop or could be a pitcher, and they just pick a they just pick a direction. You know, yeah. he, he's got more promise <laughs> as a hitter. He's got more promise as a pitcher, and I just assumed he'd probably be a pitcher because he'd had such pitching success and. There, there have been more pitching successes to come from Japan than there have hitting successes. Right. I mean, with the obvious exceptions of like Hideki Matsui and Ichiro. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I just like, oh, he'll he'll just be a decent pitcher. And it kind of looked like he was going that way, and then he blew his arm out. And what I realized over the last couple of years is that I ended up switching from cynicism to being like, oh, he'll he'll find a niche. To I really want him to be the best player in baseball. Yeah. And this year, he is the best player in baseball. And it's, and it's, he's not the best hitter, although he is currently tied for the league lead in home runs. He's not the best pitcher because the Jacob deGrom still exists. Right. But, but he's, he's in the top three probably at, on both sides. And that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. It's wild and so fun to watch. Yeah. It's ridiculous, dude. And, and, okay. I want to ask you some questions, and we, we haven't prepped this ahead of time because we don't do show prep of any kind, but um, what do you know, Pipe, about his background? Like, is he one of these guys who from, like, the cradle has been uh, sort of engineered to be a baseball player? Because uh, de rigueur here in America is, um, you know, you've got your kid playing travel ball and playing 186 games a season by the time they're four, you know, Um and it's sort of how we engineer baseball players here stateside. But I wondered, like, how this came to be that someone could be yeah. that elite in those two phases of the game. Well, I, yeah, I don't totally understand. I know that I know that uh, Japanese amateur baseball is a little bit like Texas high school football mm-hmm. or Indiana high school basketball in the sense, like it's it's like this culturally woven thing. Yeah, and so the elite players at that level. Are are not only celebrities, but like they're you know they're kind of counted on in their you know for their their team's fandom and sure. things, and and I think he's just he's just one of those rare generational athletes. I think yeah you know it's there's just not that many guys who can do what he does. Like so he plays on the same team as Mike Trout, and Mike Trout is one of those generational players. Right. Like he's you look at him and you're like yeah, barring catastrophic injury, he's a for sure Hall of Famer. Sure. You know Albert Pujols was one of those guys. Ken Griffey Jr. was one of those guys. Otani's like that. He just maybe it's because he was allowed to do something that we don't allow people to do in the states. Yeah. Maybe in the states we force specialization too much, mm-hmm. and and maybe in Japan there's more openness to uh, oh you can throw ninety six and you can hit the ball four hundred and fifty feet. We'd like you to do both. Yeah. Whereas here it's like, well, we really think you you should just throw ninety six because yeah. maybe if you just throw ninety six, then you'll throw ninety eight, dude, the, and that'll be better. The logic kind of works. So if the if the line of logic says if you're enough of a special, unique athlete to be able to throw ninety six, you're probably going to be able to hit pretty well too, um, because it it takes a unique person to be able to to throw ninety six miles an hour, and you've probably got some like fast twitch muscle fibers in there that are pretty special. Um, so whoever sort of groomed him or allowed that to happen at an early age, I mean, I think maybe there's something instructive in there for us, you know, because we tend to take an athlete and say, okay, if he's a kid who throws hard or if he's a kid who can, you know, hit the stop sign with a snowball from 30 feet away or whatever, we immediately like, make them do nothing but throw for the rest of their lives. And we sort of quiet whatever's in there that, that could be a lead in other areas, you know? Um, whereas I think back in the, back in the Babe Ruth era, you know, you saw a special athlete and you were allowing them to be a special athlete all over the place, you know? Right. Um, which is kind of a fun thing to think about. And it's fun when you see it, you know, and we, we, in the age of specialization, we do see it less and less, but so, where else could this work? Because I mean, so I think about so let's take Jake Degrom, yeah. who was I think he was a shortstop in college as when so he was shortstop when he wasn't pitching, yeah. and he's you know he's one of the better hitting pitchers in baseball, which is a little bit like winning the tallest midget contest, yeah. but yeah. you know whatever, um, he can still hit some, and 
you know, what, what would have happened if all through the minors, they just, you know, he took, he took regular batting practice. He invested in hitting, maybe not as much as pitching, but yeah. with, uh, you know, maybe 30% as much. Right. Would he be like a 230 hitter with some power? Like yeah. that's a, who could, who's not a total drag on the end of their lineup. I don't know. It's just, it, it's a crazy thing. Or in football, you know, in high school football, the best players are almost always two-way players. Dude, or at they least do they everything. were when I was yeah. growing up. And they usually kick and punt. I don't think that's true anymore. I think I think even those guys are specialists now. It's like, no, he just plays defensive end. And I'm like, well, he'd probably be a monster tight end too. Maybe we should try both. And yeah. that used to be a thing. Like what I, I guess I'm curious what the psyche is that says let's, at the age of 16, tell people what they need to do for the rest of their life instead of yeah. saying, oh, go be good at everything. Dude, okay, so this is a, this is a huge question, Pipe. And I think it has import for like the rest of society without like making too big a deal out of it. I mean, I think it's really, it speaks to the involvement of parents and it speaks to like, what's the end game of playing a sport. And yeah, I mean, 20, 30 years ago in high school, the end game was to win, right? So if you had a stud player, he was for sure playing both ways he was probably kicking off. He was probably punting. Like these really elite athletes, you would see them everywhere on the field. And the idea was, let's put the ball in his hands or let's put him in high leverage situations as much as we can. And now dad is so hyper-involved, leaning over against the fence in his stupid like Under Armour sweatsuit with his stupid sunglasses like backwards on the back of his neck, sort of waggling his finger at the coach at, at at every opportunity. I mean, he's more worried about his kids, uh, you know, huddle highlights and rivals page than he is, you know, anything that the team wants to accomplish. And I think there's a, there's a certain amount of purity in just, well, there's two things, two points I want to make. One, as a parent getting out of the way and letting the coach coach, um, you are going to run into some bad coaches, but that's just kind of, to me, all part of it. So getting out of the way yeah. is, is one point, but then like letting the team be the team. And I think nowadays you've just got a bunch of free agents, you know, like your kid plays on some travel team and the implicit promise in that is that he's going to get other opportunities when in fact travel baseball is really just a thing that like ensures that you're not going to be in church for two months and you're going to be like 2000 bucks lighter at the end of it. You know, because um, yes. most of those kids aren't going anywhere. And if you spend any time around sports, you can watch an athlete for 10 minutes and say if they're going anywhere or not. I mean, it's it's really true. And, you know, the good ones are the good ones. And you really can't put in what God left out. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And it's interesting. There's actually been studies done on some of this, which, of course, have had no impact whatsoever on the rise of AAU and travel sports and whatever else. Right. But there was a there's a book by David Epstein called Range, I think it was. Uh -huh. And uh, and it's basically and it, the, the subtitle is how, why generalists rule the world. Mm. And he, he looks at everything from like music to, you know, computer programming to whatever, but basically saying if you learn to be a varied person, yeah. you know, so basically learn how to have skills and problem solve in a variety of ways, those things are transferable. And so in sports, guys like Roger Federer, um, so he kind of looks at like Federer versus Tiger Woods mm -hmm. and at one place where Federer played a bunch of different sports. Like he, tennis was not his thing until he was much older than, you know, your kind of typical elite tennis player who's at like 15 in, yeah. in tennis school somewhere. But all of those other skills and athletic ability and body movements and everything transferred. And and that's true for a lot of the elite athletes is that they 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 were good at a bunch of different things. And then they kind of picked a specialty once they kind of like it kind of boiled down to that. They're like, oh, this is where I have the best opportunity or oh, this is the one that I love. Yeah. You know, I think Steph Curry was like that. I think he played some baseball. He's a great golfer. Yeah. And now oh, also the best shooter in the history of the world on the basketball court. Dude, LeBron James, Allen Iverson, both elite yeah. high school football players. Yep. And uh, yeah, to the point where if they had gone in football, now Iverson was small, so he might have struggled, but like they could have made a career for it because totally. look at the kind of athlete they were. Right. You know, Michael Jordan in baseball. The fact that Michael Jordan hit over 200 in minor league baseball after not having swung a bat since high school or not having played competitively just shows kind of what the elite athlete can do crossing sports. Totally. And uh, yeah, I just, 
I think I think there's another just psychological aspect where one of the things that I remember most, and I get this feeling, I'm almost 40, mm-hmm. and every upcoming season, I get this feeling still, which is the ache for the season to start. Yeah. For baseball, then football, then basketball, then back to right. baseball. Whereas if I just played baseball year round, like what am I ever anticipating? Yeah, that's right. Just the next tournament, just the next round with my my hitting coach, right. you know, working off of a tee in some garage somewhere. Dude, in some, yeah, in some like, like industrial complex somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it really takes the romance out of it. Like you have to, you have to miss something to be able to feel romantic about it. And I think that's the, that's what the natural ebb and flow of the season provides and um we're kind of robbing kids of that dude we're, we're rabbit trailing all over the place here a little bit but um do you see the whole like travel baseball pathology in your church where people are just they just disappear for like two months um not as much in our church i think probably because of uh just generationally where we're at yeah. we have a huge number of kids who are like sub fifth grade yeah and a smaller number of families with teenagers. Sure. I think if we were, if we, you know, trended more middle-aged, yeah. which, you know, Lord willing, we will in a few years, mm-hmm. um, we'll, we'll run into more of that. There's a little bit of it. You know, when I talk to our, when I talk to our youth minister, he's, he sees it some, sure. um, but I've, I've been at churches where that's like, yeah, there's kind of like an inhale exhale of like, Oh, it's travel baseball season. We just won't see certain kids for years, or it's AAU yeah. basketball. We just won't see certain kids for months. In which you know, so it's it's kind of like we just when I worked with those youth groups, we just kind of treated those kids as if they weren't part of the youth group. They'd show up yeah. and we'd be like, "Oh, we know who you are. We know your family, but also you're a visitor, yeah, <laughs> because we don't know who you are." No, it's true, and it's it's amazing how quickly parents acquiesce to all that. You know what I mean? Like, oh, pay three thousand dollars and be out of the church for two months. I'm in. And uh, it's just it speaks to the like seductive nature of sports, yeah. and well, it's crazy. Yeah, and I think if you, I, I think most of those parents probably do not have a coherent, cohesive idea of what they're offering their kids. Yeah. Like they have a generalized sense of we think we're doing what's best for our kids, but if you ask them, like, write out your five goals for your kid, mm-hmm. you know, what are you hoping to see them turn into? Yeah. I, my guess is it would it, there would be sort of a record scratch like herky jerky stop <laughs> kind of oh uh, I don't I don't know where all any of this fits right you know principally I we should be more involved in church and and relationships but also sports are my idol and yeah. I'm living vicariously through my kids and ah I don't know how to answer these questions yeah no I know it I know it and there's a yeah there's a sense of like distortion in the in the heart there and I think. You know, not to speak for our entire generation, but I think there's there have been some reasons why, like, the maturity level isn't there amongst people our age. And I think that's trickling down to their kids. And this coming on the heels of a discussion where we decided that all we want is a six shooter and a holster for Christmas. So um, <laughs> maybe we're guilty of the same things. But we're, we're nothing if not inconsistent. Exactly. Piper, speaking of athletes who are elite ish in one sport trying other sports do do we need to do like two minutes on the tebow thing tebow getting signed oh, I by think the we jacks must. we absolutely must where are you at on that man um i have very mixed feelings because like at my gut level i really disliked him tebow yeah same um and at the same time I, it's really hard to dog a guy for finding a way to do the things he wants to do. <laughs> I know it. I know. You it. know. Yeah. And and there, and I have to have some modicum of respect for a guy who seems to succeed at everything he tries to some level. Yeah. Yeah. I, even if I don't even think he's good, like I don't think he was a good professional football player the first time. I don't think he was a good broadcaster. Right. I don't think he's. Uh, I don't think he was a good minor league baseball player. Mm-hmm. But he was good enough. Yeah, good enough to be and, there, which is elite. Yeah, or, you know. You know, or, you know, if he wasn't quite good enough, his name recognition closed the gap because it sold some tickets. And again, mm-hmm. like, okay, if you have monetary value, I guess go go get it. Yeah. Um, I What bothered me the most about this was just the sheer football principle of this is what he should have done 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. He should have come into the league. 
given it one year at quarterback and been like, oh, I am not an NFL quarterback. You know what I am? I'm an NFL athlete sure. who can play H-back, fullback, tight end. I don't think he I don't think he plays a regular season snap this year. No, there, there's there's a regulative kind of law of the jungle that takes over in football in a locker room where yeah. I think people I think training camp is going to be an exercise in like getting his face ripped off by people. Like people are going to run through him. And for as good of an athlete as he is, and I, I do, I doff the cap to him in terms of figuring out a way to get there. And and at the end of the day, as much as we maybe don't like Tebow, like the kid loves football, you know, and I, I do, I get it. Like I get it being hard to quit football. I've, I've been trying to quit yeah. for 25 years and I can't. So I understand that, but, you know, I, I do think – it's going to be a rude awakening for him. Just things like putting your hand in the dirt, getting in a three-point stance, trying to block people. Like those nine out seven drills are physical. Pass pro is yeah. physical. Like um, he, he's going to get. And he's he's thirty three. Right. Like I realize he's he's been going easy on his body the last few years, but like thirty three athleticism starts to slip. The the thirty three year old NFL players who are elite. Yeah. Are the guys who have mastered all of the other skills, the subtle skills? They're not. They're not the fastest, most explosive guys in the leagues anymore. They're the. They're they're, they're still good athletes, obviously, yeah. but they're the technicians. Like, is he going to be a technician of any kind at tight end? Well, the the funny thing is, you just don't see his body type in the NFL anymore. I mean, if it was yeah. 1998, he would have been a fullback or an inside linebacker. I mean, the kids like he'd have been. Fr- yeah, you'd have been like Frank Wycheck. Dude, or sure. He's like 6'2", 250. There were a bunch of guys like that in the league in 1998. But like Titans now, they look like Darren Waller. I mean, they're tall. They're yeah. willowy. They're fast. They run 4'4", four, 4'5". Four, four, he he ran like a 4'6", 5'4", 4'7", coming out of college. Right. Which means when he was at his athletic peak. He's probably 4'8", 5' now. He's really blocky. He's really stiff. Um, he looks like a bodybuilder, you know. And you just don't – like looking around the league – you don't see that body type on anyone. So it'll be weird and interesting to see if they use him, how they use him, if this was just a favor from Urban Meyer to him. Um, It'll be interesting to see what kind of impact the Tebow traveling circus media thing has on Trevor Lawrence. You know, it's it's a weird deal to me to kind of start your franchise over with a brand new coach and a brand new, like, you know, a golden boy quarterback, and then two weeks later sign this like media freak show. It's just, it's well, bizarre. I, I wonder though, like, so Jacksonville, nobody could name a star player on Jacksonville other than Trevor Lawrence yeah. prior to the signing of Tim Tebow. Right. Which means that, and, and, and Lawrence was the number one overall pick. So all the pressure rested on him and Urban Meyer. Yeah. Like that was it. Yeah. I kind of wonder if this is sort of a like, the you know the prestige yeah we're like they're trying to draw all the attention to this 33 year old tight end media whore and uh <laughs> yeah and let lawrence just go figure out how to how to read a defense how to go through his progressions how to yeah. feel pressure i like just become an nfl quarterback and honestly i mean tebow has the reputation of being a genuinely good guy. So I wouldn't be surprised if he could offer some benefit to Lawrence. You know, yeah. I don't know what Trevor Lawrence wants or needs, yeah. but if he wanted to go to him and say, Hey, how do you make the, how do I deal with some of these difficult transition to sure. professional life? And I could see Tebow being, being an asset in that way. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, to me, it seems like gamesmanship or, Urban Meyer is this is there's sort of like an under the table kind of thing where it's like, hey, if this doesn't work out, we'll move you into the front office. We'll move you onto like a player development staff, like yeah. kind of a a you get to go that direction. Yeah. Uh and and stay close to the game. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah, would would you be surprised if sometime during training camp Tebow steps back and then they announce yeah. quietly that he's sort of joining the coaching staff or right. something along those lines? Like, hey, my hamstring's not coming around, you know, but yeah, I'm the new director of player development, which is weird in light of like the Tebow incorporated sort of brand that he's been shilling for the last decade. <laughs> um, like you want you wonder what happens to all that, but um, but alas, that is uh, that is literally and figuratively above our pay grade pipe. Um, but it will be it will be interesting. And I, I wish 
I yeah. wish it was only figuratively above our pay grade. I know, dude. I, I wish I wish the Happy Rant Incorporated brand was as big as Tebow Incorporated. You know, it's only a matter yeah, of time. Yeah, but then we'd have to be like Tim Tebow, and I don't know that either of us could stomach that. Yeah, well, neither neither of us are that handsome or jacked or, quite yeah. frankly, boring. I think we're I think we're <laughs> gradations more interesting than Tim Tebow. Um, well. At the very least, we have opinions, which is not a thing that we've seen much from him. So, dude, has, yeah, has there there's ever that been difference. someone that good looking with with that little charisma? I mean, for the for the looks and charisma, yeah. thing, oh, oh, look at just Euro- European professional soccer stars across true. the board. That's true. Yeah. Bunch of really really handsome, just mannequin personalities, dude. Yeah, like elite looks there across the board, but uh, but yeah, like like very remedial personalities. Um, it's, it's interesting when the, the, they, I mean, they, they, they avoid controversy by saying nothing of of note, but you know, yeah, true. Basically them. Dude, Mike Lombardi had the greatest Tebow quote. This was a couple weeks ago on his, on his podcast, right after Tebow got signed. Lombardi goes, uh, if you, if you taught that kid how to play the trombone, you know, he would, he would demand a spot on the New York Philharmonic, (laughs) you know, like it's like the kid. Um, he immediately wants to go to the top in uh, in whatever he's trying to do. So, so sure, I that's true. All people have to do is say no. Exactly. Like, you know, I, I, I don't. I guess I don't understand. I don't understand being mad at him. Yeah. If they offered him a contract, like maybe Jacksonville's the one we should all be mad at. Like, what is this gong show you're running? Yeah. But or the New York Mets for letting him play baseball. Like he. They say no to people all the time. Right. Like they they cut people. They tell people no. They tell better athletes than him no. So it's just I don't I guess I don't understand like why Lombardi was offended by it because I'm like well he asked and they said yes. What's like this yeah. is sort of a well what's the worst that could happen? You just keep asking. Yeah, I mean they were the gatekeepers. They had they had the ability to shut it down at whatever point they wanted to. But uh, it'll be interesting. I mean it'll be interesting to see if he even makes it to like the first preseason game and gets reps at tight end. Um, I don't know. Football is infinitely interesting to me for so many reasons, but, uh, but this will be another, another interesting thing to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, were we done with Otani? I feel like we kind of got off track there. Um, well, yeah, I don't, I do, I guess I don't know how much there is to say about him and, you know, unless we wanted to get into like nerd scouting other than just calling attention to the fact that this has never happened since the twenties. Yeah. Okay. So let, let me ask you this. From a marketing standpoint, and this is this this comment or question is painted on the canvas of there's been a lot of hand wringing in baseball this year over like the strikeout rate and the low batting averages across the league. The fact that the game the game kind of goes through these ebbs and flows where you know offense will kind of go away for a little while and then they make tweaks to the rules and it kind of comes back. Um, do you think from a marketing standpoint? he moves the needle. Like, do you, th- do you think this will help baseball? Do you think we'll see more of it? And what, what I'm getting at a little bit with that is I think you and I are both at an age and we've both been with, we've kind of been with baseball in some form or fashion long enough that like, I really don't care about those things. And I, I like baseball as a kind of self-regulating organism. So I'm not worried about it, but do you think baseball will try to capitalize on this pathology as a as a marketing thing moving forward uh no because baseball sucks at capitalizing on anything good (laughs) that is true i mean it's the the weakest point of major league baseball is not the game it's not the time of the game it's not what it's the fact that there are 25 captivating players Mm -hmm. like they're captivating to watch some of them are fantastically interesting people some of them are like 22 some of them are 38 yeah and nobody know like you wouldn't know Fernando Tatis Jr. if you walked by him in the grocery store. I would because he's he just, the most exciting player in baseball not named Otani. He just killed my team for a week, so I would know him. Yeah. Unfortunately. He's fascinating. Yeah. And and so no, baseball's absolutely not gonna do anything with this because because they they need like Adam Silver to come over from the NBA and show them how to just market the the crap out of mm. uh, all of their all of their assets, all of their interested it's, people. It is still run like 
a bank in the 1950s, <laughs> you know, just like if we build it, they will come. We're rich. Nobody can tell us what to do. Yeah. They just miss all the opportunities. And it's it's baffling to me because like Mike Trout should be should be as loved as like, you know, Willie Mays was. Sure. And Otani is doing something that hasn't been done in 100 years. And Fernando Tatis Jr. and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Talk about that. He's he's the best hitter in baseball this year, and his dad was a Hall of Famer. Like yeah. this is a cool story. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you remember? I'm sure you remember when Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr. shared an outfield for like part of a season. Dude, absolutely. Like this is this is that level of cool. Yeah. What Vlad Jr. is doing, and baseball is just like, okay, dude. You know, so <laughs> like, we we. Come, come and watch everybody like it exists. They, I think they're still following the field of dreams. If we build it, they will come, which is which is not how anything works anymore. Nothing works that way, baseball. Yeah, I want to. Uh, that's a great point. Now I want to follow it up with another question. I actually think they've gotten worse at this because, dude, I'm thinking again about being 12, right? So we're going back to that motif. And I'm just even thinking about like the posters that I had and the posters that my buddy Mitch Warner had, he was a little bigger of a baseball guy than me. Shout out Mitch Warner. But like, dude, our rooms were covered with posters of like Ken Griffey and Barry Larkin and like Jose Canseco. And I could name like a dozen cool guys from the late eighties, early nineties that we were into that baseball like did a, at least a serviceable job at marketing and telling the stories of, and I can't do that anymore. Like, I think they've actually regressed. I think that the needle has moved back. And my question See, is... I, I don't know that baseball has regressed as much as it is, it is doing the exact same things now that it did in 1984 and 1996. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the internet didn't exist then. Yeah. And so, where every other league has figured out how to... Uh, well, the the NFL is a little different because they basically just realized, like, as an, as a sport, they kind of rule society. Yeah, basketball has learned how to market its stars, mm-hmm. and soccer kind of marketing stars, but then there's still club loyalty. They're kind of worldwide. They're like the NBA combined with the NFL in terms of how well they do this. Yeah, and baseball still just muddling along and has like they just haven't realized how to how to how to do anything so they haven't changed yeah. so they're 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 not doing anything worse i don't think they're it's just everybody else has sprinted away from them in terms of trying different things and getting different tv packages and like all of this stuff and baseball's still just mucking it up yeah yeah it's interesting that's a great point how are the twins pipe oh speaking of mucking it up um <laughs> They, uh, as of today, are no longer the worst team in baseball by record. Or maybe it was a couple days ago. Uh-huh. They had the worst record in baseball. Then they've won, I think, five out of their last six at the time of this recording. Well, there you and go. They just they couldn't get out of their own way for the first month and a half of the season. Just I think there's something like one in eleven in extra inning games. Mm-hmm. Um, their bullpen. It got to the point where I, you know, I watch games pretty regularly. Any time they would be holding a slight lead going into the eighth or ninth innings, I just was like, oh, the bullpen's 100% going to blow this. And then sure enough, it's like single, error, single, single, and they're down by two runs. Yeah. And yeah, it just was constant. So they, uh, I think they still have a fighting chance to get back into playoff contention. Mm-hmm. But it's going to take like, they're going to have to play at this level for the remainder of the season because the White Sox are still pretty good. The Indians are not horrendous, horrendous. Um, and... So they, I mean, I think at this point they'd be fighting for a wild card spot if they play exceptional baseball for the next, you know, three months. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our fortunes have been similar, uh, with the Mariners and that we had a, we had a pretty torrid start. Um, there was a lot of reason for optimism and then we kind of cratered there, uh, for the last couple of weeks and, you know, we took two, the last two nights we've, uh, we've beaten Oakland. So that's been, that's been encouraging. Pitching has been good. Starting pitching has been good. Um, here's, here's sort of a snapshot of my experience with the Mariners, uh, at multiple points this season. Uh, so starting pitcher, let's say it's Justin Dunn, um, pitches five and a half innings. It's a masterpiece, right? Maybe he's got like a one hitter going. Um, this happened the other night, which is why I'm so specific about it. 
so we hit the the magic ethereal pitch count. Decide that Justin Dunn's night has to be over, even though he's on fire. We pull him out. We bring in some guy from the pin. He gets lit up to the tune of like six runs in, in the first inning that he's in, and we lose nine to two. That that to me, and, and maybe this is a broader discussion about analytics and what kind of role they should play in the lives of professional baseball teams. But I feel like we've been we've been bitten by the analytics thing a lot this year. Um, in that, and, and I don't know what kind of impact over the entire course of the season it would have on his arm to keep him in for another couple innings. But, and I'm sure they've done the math and they know more than me, but uh, there's a thing about an athlete playing great and the team responding to the athlete playing great. That is kind of magical. That isn't captured in analytics. And if you're just trying to win every night, Maybe you let the guy go a little bit more. Have you have you seen this on the Twins? And this this is something you get from like having the MLB package and, and watching a little bit of your yeah. team every night. Yeah, somewhat. I think the the Twins are probably in a different spot because they don't have a lot of like prospect players yeah. in their, especially not in their rotation right now. So. Like these guys have a proven track record of what they can and can't do. So, like when Michael Pineda is pitching, you're very likely to get five to six very good innings out of him. But yeah. if he has to go through the lineup a third time while he's also climbing into that 95 to 110 pitch count, yeah, he's probably going to get hammered. Sure, or he's going to lose, you know, lose his uh, his command and those kinds of things. Jose Brios, same thing, has a tendency to like go four innings where he looks like you know, one of the top five pitchers in baseball. And then that fifth and sixth inning, it's like, oh, here we go. Walks two guys, <laughs> gives up a double. Like the third time through the lineup is kind of a nightmare. But I I, I do struggle with what you're talking about from a fan perspective when it's a young pitcher. Yeah. Because it's like, well, the guy has 18 career innings. We don't know what he's good at. Sure. Also, he doesn't know what he's good at, and we don't know what his progression is. So maybe giving him a chance to grind through those that next time through the lineup yeah is gonna is gonna be beneficial or maybe it's gonna be beneficial in in july even if it's not now sure <clears throat> so yeah i i see it some with the twins the the thing that bugs me about the twins when it comes to the analytics is all the analytics show that having a high-end bullpen you know so where you can bring in a a, a new high-powered arm every inning after the fifth or sixth yeah is is a pretty effective way to win. Yeah. Well, the the Twins just don't have those arms. Yeah. Like I watch other teams and they they're just rolling guys out there who are throwing like ninety seven with ridiculous movement for the sixth inning, seventh inning, eighth <laughs> yeah. inning, ninth inning. And the Twins have like two of those guys and then a bunch of like lefties who throw ninety one. And I'm like, what? This is this is the same crap we tried. You know, like after the lockout season in ninety five. You know, come on guys, like do. Right. They're still running out there like pitch to contact junk out of their bullpen and mm-hmm. it that drives me crazy like that's just a that's just bad it's understanding analytics and not having the talent to match yeah no that's a that's a great point for sure um pipe do we have like five minutes to talk some nba playoffs and by talk we some do. nba playoffs i mean i will ask you about it because due to <laughs> due to the nfl draft and baseball happening i haven't thought about the nba in like two months um, so what's going on? What's going on in the NBA? Does anybody care? This is my annual, like, does anybody care conversation about the NBA? It's yeah, it feels weird this year. Cause they, you know, they started the season late. They crammed, I think a 75 game regular season with mm-hmm. only a few hiccups along the way. Yeah. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't a, a massive disaster, yeah. but it means that the playoffs started late. So like it's, it's almost June at the time of this recording mm-hmm. and we're, we're just, barely into the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. Which normally this is like conference finals time. Sure. So which means that like yeah, the arc of interest for guys like me ended mm-hmm. and normally the playoffs are when that picks up again. It's like okay, I slogged through the regular season now I'm gonna t- and now I'm just like yeah, I kind of don't care. Yeah. Um but where things are, I would venture to say that um I think the Nets are probably the presumptive favorites right now mm-hmm. because they have Kyrie, Durant, and Harden, and they I just it's hard to imagine anybody stopping them. Let me ask you a question um, about that trifecta yeah. and that team. Does anybody like them? 
Like, is anybody like... Uh, no. Yeah, it, nobody. That, that, that was my They question. don't even like each other. They don't like each other. Nobody likes them. Like, has there ever been a less likable trifecta of, like, NBA stars on one team? Well, it's not... Yeah, it's that plus the fact that they're they're playing for a team that doesn't really have a home fan base. Right. Because they were the New Jersey Nets, who at least had, like... yeah. They're like angry New Jersey fandom who they weren't big, but they were right. they were loyal. They'd been around since the ABA days, et cetera. Yeah. Um, then they moved to Brooklyn. And so it's like, well, they're way better than the Knicks, or at least they have right. been. But also they they're not no native New Yorker likes them. Right. And the Brooklyn hipsters are probably not big basketball fans. So they don't really have a home fan base. Uh, two of the three stars on their team are, I would say, two of the three least likable players in the NBA. I should say two of the least likable yeah. players in the NBA because nobody likes Kyrie and nobody likes Harden. Yeah. And Durant is, he's enigmatic. Like, yeah. personality, nobody knows what to do with him. But also probably one of the, he, he he's an all-time elite player and yeah. scorer. Just a, a rare talent. Right. Um. But yeah, nobody likes them, and uh, and so if they win, it's going to feel very kind of anticlimactic because mm-hmm. if they don't win, it's like they failed. If they do win, it's like well, of course they won. Yeah, and nobody's going to be happy, and it's yeah. going to feel a little bit like a purchased title. Sure, you know where? Yeah, because none of that was homegrown talent. All yeah. of it was kind of bought, traded for, you know, whatever. And it it kind of feels like the the most mercenary way to go about it. You know, a little yeah. bit like. I mean, it doesn't even compare. I was going to compare it to like the Yankees of the early 2000s, but I was like, actually, a bunch of their players kind of came up through their system. You Dude, know? it's true. Or and the Yankees gonna- have always had this like, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, this fiercely loyal kind of locally homegrown fan base where, yeah, they're a global brand. They're a little bit like the Dallas Cowboys, but the, but there's always been like a a close-to-home aspect of the Yankees where whereas... Yeah, this Brooklyn thing, it's like they're they're kind of emblematic of the modern sort of disconnected social media era where like it doesn't really exist. You know what I mean? Like nobody really cares, but it exists yeah. kind of only on the internet. And yeah, it's it's sad in that way. Like I remember as a kid, dude, like so my family's from Chicago and all those Bulls championships, like for weeks before and after the NBA finals, you couldn't drive anywhere in the Chicago area without like somebody selling like bulls t-shirts on the street corner. And you, you drive up to these like folding tables and little tents and everybody's selling like this unlicensed bulls merchandise. And the feeling was, gosh, that's illegal, but also like, that's cool. You know, like everybody cares about this and everybody's walking around in bulls t-shirts and there was this huge sense of they're ours, you know, they, they're, they're local and like, no one's going to care in Brooklyn, you know, like a Brooklyn hipster isn't going to wear a Nets t-shirt unless it's ironic, you know, um, the whole thing just hits at a sad level to me. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is there's a shift in, so the bulls were always Chicago's team. You know, the bears were Chicago's team mm-hmm. in New York. Like the, the, the Mets and the Yankees have real fan bases. Yeah. Like, yes, the Yankees are kind of the evil empire, but like they have people who, who have rooted for them generation over generation over generation sure. and that kind of thing. Same with like the twins, you know, mm-hmm. the more local, uh, regional kind of team. Yeah. The NBA has lost most of that. Yeah. It's a, it's a stars based league. And I, I go back and forth on whether it's a plus or minus, but yeah, almost anybody under the age of like 28 uh-huh. roots for players, not teams. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they root for they're they're following there. If Steph Curry was to leave the warriors, they're going to go be a fan of like whatever team he lands on Miami right. or whatever. Right. And so there's, and so Brooklyn the the problem that Brooklyn has is that a they didn't have a loyal fan base and b nobody likes those players so yeah. they didn't gain either of those things like the Lakers gained a bunch of fans when LeBron went over mm-hmm. and you know if LeBron leaves they're going to lose a bunch of those fans because he's going to go to wherever you know yeah. that kind of thing but yeah the Nets don't have any of that yeah and and so then and you get other teams like so let's look at the Eastern Conference like I think the Sixers are the were the number one seed I think and like nobody. 
Nobody's really a Joel Embiid fan. Right, right. Other than like analytics guys. Yeah. Nobody's really a Ben Simmons fan. Yeah. But Philly matters because Philly fans have been Philly fans for forever. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like they have a real fan base. So that if if the Sixers went and and won a title, which I, I don't think they'll have a shot to do, yeah. that would be a story. Right. Right. You know, coming out of the West, like Phoenix was you know, the number two seed. And so say they came out like they got Chris Paul, they got DeAndre and they got Devin Booker. It's a small, but like, I think it'd be more of a story. Cause like the Suns have been sort of languishing there for yeah. 40 years or whatever. Yeah. So there's, there's just this weird mix of like a, a few loyal fan bases and then a bunch of people who follow stars. And then you get some of these teams who lack both of those things. Dude, you know, I like think there's, I think there's a real scarcity of likable players right now. Like there, there's a real crater of of that in that like I couldn't name five guys in the NBA who I like, you know, who I like the personality of, and I like watching them play. And it, it well, speaks. Let me let me push back on yeah. that a little bit. There have never been likable players in the NBA. It's just that we used to not know enough about guys that we were still allowed to like them. Dude, that's a very good point. That's Michael a, Jordan is the least likable player in the history of the NBA, and we all—that's true. Him. We all loved him. We were all Sean convinced Kemp that was he was a amazing. terrible person. Gary Payton was, you know, like all of these guys who were like, "Oh man, I love this guy." We yeah. were like, if they had social media, we would have hated them. Yes, we would have. No, that's a great point. That's a great point. But I think, and maybe I'm just viewing the past through rose-colored glasses here. In fact, I'm sure that's what I'm doing. But like when I think about Gary Payton. And Sean Kemp, not to mention Jordan. I mean, he's the he's the ultimate example of this. But there were like there were things about their games that made them as individuals fun to watch. You know what I mean? Like like you were gonna get some incredible like in game dunking from Sean Kemp, and you were gonna get some incredible like chippy trash talk defense. Like the whole Gary Payton experience was like a thing. And I don't know. They were they were sort of brands in and of themselves in kind of a pre-marketing age. Um, you know, the the league was just kind of starting to do marketing of of stars back then. And those guys kind of rose to the rose to the top on their own merits. And and I think now we're inundated with marketing, we're inundated with social media. We get too much of these guys. I, I think it's just sort of like guy fatigue. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like LeBron James, yeah, like face, just face shut fatigue. up. Yeah, like, just shut up. Don't tweet. You know, don't do anything for, like, two weeks. Let me miss you, you know? and uh, Yeah, and that's totally true because it. we also have felt the freedom now to go digging into people's personal lives. So, like, mm-hmm. Kawhi Leonard would, would have been such a delightful 90s star. Yes. Because he's got a, an unusual game. Mm-hmm. He's f- ridiculously good, and he never says anything. Yeah. Well, now... People are like trying to do behind the scenes stories about his life and where did this guy come? And like in the nineties, it would have just been like he's the quiet assassin type, right, you know. Right. Watch out for that guy, but like nobody yeah. really knows him. And he would have gotten some nickname like the ninja or something. And <laughs> yeah, and it and it totally would have worked. It would. Whereas now it's like, well, we don't we don't like him because we don't know anything about him. And then you get guys like Steph Curry, and it's like, well, we don't like him because we know too much about him. Exactly. Like, well, nobody can win anymore I because know it. we. We're now uh, too inundated with with the person part of it. I I think what we're getting at is that we liked sports before they were human. Yeah, it was you know we liked the athletes as athletes, and we did not care about them as people. And I still don't. And and that sounds terrible, yes, but correct. like <laughs> I only have the capacity to care about like ten to twelve people as people, and everybody else. Like I really don't care. You know, like. I mean, family, my kids, my close friends, you know, some people in my church. I care about them as people. I really do. But, like, I do not care about LeBron James or Kyrie Irving as people. I just can't. I don't have the, I don't have the bandwidth, yeah. you know? Well, there's, there's sort of a categorical care where it's like, yeah, we want to be decent and think, I hope their life is good. I sure. hope their marriages are good. I hope they're great dads. I hope they're, they're, have, you know, they're mentally healthy. Yeah. But also... I don't want to read anything about any of that stuff. I just want to see passes and dunks and shots and running an offense and winning games and like the the sports side of it. That's, that's why these guys hold a place in my, in my mental energy. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, 
I think too, there's another thing at play here and we're, we're hitting on all these big topics that could be episodes in and of themselves. But I, I think because of social media and the modern era, there's a natural sort of skepticism that comes with fame. Whereas I think 20, 25 years ago, somebody became famous. You recognize them as famous. You were kind of generally interested and intrigued, but you weren't really doing the, the cynical thing. Whereas now, like even in the church, dude, even like church, especially in church circles, somebody gets famous and I'm like rolling my eyes and I'm like, ah, who did he kiss up to for five years on the road? And, and, and what, (laughs) you know, like who's his nephew, you know what I mean? Or who's his uncle? Um, yeah, there's, there's this kind of like eye rolling and sigh that comes with, okay, you know, what, what church growth leadership consultant dirtbag did you hire to like get famous, you know? Um, and it's too bad. It actually makes me sad that that's how I feel. Yeah, I it, fame has become a, you know, like growing up, there would be like the fishing opener, the the deer season opener, the whatever. <laughs> yeah. Now it's like fame is the opener. You know, yeah. you, you reach a certain threshold of fame and it's like, well, open season on you. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it also there's there's just a there's almost a guarantee like peak and valley of interest and in following and then turning against. We sure. saw it with. Seen it with LeBron multiple times. Seen it with Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you even saw it with with Kevin Durant. Like Kevin Durant in Oklahoma was like in Oklahoma City was the next you know Dr. J or whatever. And then he left for Golden State and it's like oh we turned against him. Yeah. You know, now he's kind of he's in that in between place. So there, there's yeah it's fame is no longer just sort of a neutral. People are aware of you. It's now mm-hmm. a people are for you or against you and they will turn against you in time probably sure yeah that's so true which is why uh it's probably for the best pipe that we're never going to get super super famous but uh i've enjoyed this man this has been a good uh, a good hour of sports radio pipe we've done what we always do in that we've rabbit trailed a little bit but we've uh we've basically hit the topics that we endeavored to hit <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically. And until next time, check out vintagesports.com. And that's it. I, I kind of stepped on my until next time thing. <laughs> until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to resonaterecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.